Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Mesut Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm right, thanks man. How are you? Good, good, good. Saw you for the first time in two months. Yeah. <laughs> I see that absence has not made your heart grow fonder. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's, it's such a strange thing, isn't it? Because we've, we've not seen each other for two months. We had a first in-person interaction in two months on what, Tuesday? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But kind of feels like... We see each other all the time because we're on Google Hangout doing two podcasts a week are you, minimum. Are you proud of me that I've learned how to dress? Are you proud of actually like taking some steps in a positive fashion direction? <laughs> I'm wearing different clothing. <laughs> well, the last time I saw you, it was about minus five degrees. So I would hope you were wearing different. You still wear a roll neck. That's Yeah, but old habits. You Just know. a lighter one. I love how someone spotted it. We posted this video, obviously, of like me walking up uh, to the cafe. Which whose name and shall remain undisclosed because it's one of my favourite spots. So good spots have to stay off the radar. It's like the Okwonga cave. It is exactly. <laughs> and as I walked up, I was wearing this jacket, and someone was like, "Is that a roll neck?" Is gone, and so people were actually looking out for it, which is great. Oh yeah, everyone's eagle-eyed, man. Yeah, yeah. The eye of you know, the eye of the podcast is ever watchful. They know. They know. They know. They know. But no, it was fun, huh? We had a nice little socially distant coffee sat outside because bars and restaurants are kind of pretty much open again now here. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's fun when we had actually three coffees and I was wondering because I woke up at 3am the next morning and I thought, is this just the coffee? But actually, I think my body clock has just been ruined by the quarantine because I'm waking up regularly at like 3am at the moment. And it's not even stress. It's just waking up at 3am. You're saying you're a bat? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have been called a vampire, so bat's more charitable. So I'll take that. I'll take that. (laughs) Maybe you were just so hyped seeing me and your brain was rushing at all of the high grade conversation that we'd had. Do you know what? Actually, don't, this is, you're only half joking, but there's a funny thing. So when you've agreed to see someone on a particular day, especially this kind of lockdown, they're the only person you plan to see. So you're kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. So a very good friend of mine, I'm going to embarrass her a little bit, but she won't be listening. So what the hell? My friend over in Amsterdam, Eva. So Eva, we were meant to go for like a Zoom phone call. And it was the only I planned to do in the middle of the lockdown. And on two consecutive days, she basically like cancelled at the last minute. And I was absolutely gutted because it was the only thing I had to look forward to all day. And so she gets in touch with me like a month and a half later, like just a couple of days ago. And she's like, oh, Musa, um, yeah, I hope you're not too upset. And I'm like, Eva, I was like, <laughs> I was at my laptop, like the kid who doesn't get picked up from school. <laughs> okay, let's get to some football. Let's talk football. Before we do, let's do some admin. So there are some awards coming up the british podcast awards are coming up now we haven't been nominated for anything because no one cares about us (laughs) but there is a listener's choice award which is open to any podcast so we're going to put the link to vote in the description if you want to just do it right now and you can't be bothered going to the description it's britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote it's the listener's choice award supported by the bbc and you can basically just search for stadio should be the top one that comes up I mean, we don't really stand a hope in hell of winning this award, but think of us like Ajax 2018, 2019. At the moment, we're kind of in the qualifiers for the Champions League, but I want to do something that Ajax didn't do and I want to win the. I want to win it. Moose, oh I want God. to win it. I don't care. I want to win it, Moose. I want to win. I've got, I've got. Oh my God, this is competitive. This is competitive, Ryan. It's a peek behind the curtain. We haven't seen this. Rilo Ren's here and I want to win. Every week you draw back the veil a little more. Every week. Are you ever going to reveal your musical identity, by the way? Well, I'm cutting that out. (laughs) Just leave them laughing. 
Leave the light. I'm Prince. No, don't, don't. <laughs> Prince. There you go. Happy now? Sorry, everyone. I'm actually Prince. I'm still alive. I pivoted to podcasting. <laughs> You're ridiculous. You're actually ridiculous. Oh, my God. I love you too, man. <laughs> Anyway, serious business this. Yeah, stop making me laugh. I'm, this is a serious podcast. We're serious, we're serious people. Listen, We would really love to win and not that, well, winning's not everything, but it totally is in this instance. So please go and vote for us. Do you know what? Let me, let... Imagine if the Lister's Choice Award was this football podcast that no one had heard of and be like, yeah, out of key. It's like, something give the Mercury Music Prize to that band that no one knows and everyone has to stroke their chin and be like, oh yeah, I'm totally up on that. It's like that. <laughs> anyway yeah. yeah um yeah it'd be lovely if you could vote for us but don't worry uh if you don't get around to it but yeah it'll make ryan happy and even me no do worry actually go and vote <laughs> go, come on go vote. It's democracy in action people Democ- it's like take back control <laughs> yeah <laughs> take, back control. <laughs> take back control nick <laughs> um also if you know anyone else who doesn't care about stadio but has an email address get them to vote as well please that'd be lovely <laughs> direct marketing <laughs> yeah um on another note on a on a football note no we can't go to football yet <laughs> still i'm not done musa i'm not done i'm not done you're like greg popovich when he's talking about donald trump and the reporters keep trying to move on and he's like i'm not done i'm not done hang on i'm not done yes i'm not done feels like we're in the last days of rome <laughs> that's what let's put pop said that's one of the great speeches stadio sessions is now up the guitar one that will be in the description as well. And also, so will the link to the outro Spotify playlist. Okay. So there you go. I think that's everything. I think so. Anything else? Uh, no, that's it. I've, I've really been, actually one thing I will say, the thing I love about your um, outros is that I can... The hour outros. Our outros. The thing I love about the outros is I rediscover, I don't discover new music, I rediscover bands. Because what happens is obviously we play out on tunes that are sort of less well known for their catalogue. And there was a Talking Heads tune a few um, months ago that sounded a bit Afrobeaty, and I was like, oh, like in terms of- I don't think we ever played out on that though, did we? I think you played it and you were like, oh, this is a nice tune. I think I played it on the sessions. That's right. That's right. And I was like- Born Under Punches, that one. And I was like, they've got that kind of range. And yeah, so now I'm like on a Talking Heads vibe. Oh man. David Byrne, man. Genius. Genius. Absolute genius. But yeah, let's get it. All right, should we talk about football? Yeah, it's all right, football. So, so, okay. Um, Today we're talking about classic number nines. And I thought this would be timely because Robert Lewandowski is a classic number nine. And over at Bayern Munich this season, you could say that particularly in the early part, he kind of salvaged their season and now has been leading yeah. a title charge. Um, and I know that obviously you had something to say about his goal scoring this year in particular in relation to a particular record. Yeah. So he looks like he's on course to hit the 40 goal mark, which is a bit of a special number in the Bundesliga because only Gerd Müller has ever hit 40 goals in a Bundesliga season. He's currently scoring a goal every 82 minutes. It's unbelievable. So, yeah. And it's interesting because we were talking about Timo Werner before we were recorded as well. And, and you've mentioned a number of times this season how Leipzig have kind of addressed the goal problem they had last year. And in the early stages of the season, Werner was keeping up with Lewandowski and actually, I think at one point, scoring at a higher clip than he was. He's fallen off a little bit, but that's understandable. I mean, what, Timo Werner's in his early 20s. Right. Lewandowski's kind of hitting that. You know when people have a certain amount of miles on the clock, but you can't see them slowing down? He's kind of like LeBron. 
the decline will come at some point, but the expected date for that is getting pushed further and further and further back. And it's kind of happened with Lewandowski as well, I think. Well, the decline will only ever be physical, won't it? Because at this point, it's like you see it in Formula One with Lewis Hamilton, you see it across sports, Federer, Djokovic. When you've played enough of the circuit, and you've seen enough of the problems that people have presented to you and you've worked out the problems. You know, they, they say this so often as a football, there's almost two phases to a career. There's the first stage when you burst out of the blocks and you're this like bright young thing. And then your opposition work you out. Mm. And then you problem solve in response to that. And now Lewandowski has solved all the problems to the point where, like LeBron in basketball, you can never, even, you can never actually stop these people. You can only ever contain them. Whether or not Lewandowski scores against you, assists against you, he's good enough just with his presence to have a decisive influence because he will draw coverage, defence and so on. And I think he's in that point, right? He's really in this kind of, they call it a purple patch. But I think it's almost, you could call it like a, a post-problem patch where he takes the field and he's like, nothing really bothers me or intimidates me anymore. I, I'm going to get mine. So we're talking about the classic nine today and I thought I'd drop a rough definition of a classic nine and then we could kind of um, get into it along with help from some of our listeners and set some great suggestions in. So, Listeners slash voters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, voters. Subliminal. Can you put, actually, can you play- Go vote people. Can, Go vote. can you play, don't, you can say, can you play Go and Vote People backwards under the podcast subliminally? I'll say it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That should be the that's actually what Missy Elliott work it says backwards. Yeah, it's true actually. Go and vote for Stadio in the Listener Choice Awards. Yeah, no, that's what no. she was ahead of her time. It actually was. 20 years before we were even a thing. She dropped some new stuff recently, Missy. It was very good too. Missy's ace. Yeah, Missy's the best. Okay, so um, a classic number nine. I would define a classic number nine as someone, a footballer where the majority of their work takes place in central areas in the final third at the tip of the attacking arrow. So whether that's in the front three or the tip of the three or front two, you're you're the one closest to centre-backs and where you start most of your runs in central areas. So you're not like a kind of Thierry Henry style wide forward who starts out wide and cuts in at the last minute or a Jungberg. So yeah, um, classic nines. Do you want to kick off discussing your favourite or shall I? I mean, well, I want to add something to your definition. It's not essential, but I think that the great number nines have an element to them like Lewandowski does where you see their name on the team sheet and they've already kind of got an advantage on you. I like that. People are already thinking about you before you've even stepped on the pitch. I like that. And I know that that's a bit of a no-brainer and everyone says, you know, now, well, always teams have planned for great players. When great players are in a lineup, they're a problem. But I think there's something about the presence of a great number nine or, or maybe the difference between just a really good number nine and an all-time great number nine is that presence creates almost a split-second advantage yeah. because of just the nervousness that it instills in the players who are defending them. You know what I mean? And you can see that. Like I went back and we had loads and loads of shouts for Batistuta. Yes. Which I think might be worth starting with because I went back and watched a load of his goals and you can kind of see that fear there. It's like everyone's half a step slower because they're already worried about what's happening after that moment. They're not worried about the, the moment in front of them. They're, they're fearing the moment that is coming. In terms of a, a, a skill set, I know you love superhero comparisons. But Batistuta reminds me so much of Bane. Like I watched the Dark Knight Rises again the other day for the first time in a few years. And the thing that is so amazing about Bane as a character is that it's ferocious to the point where it's quite uncomfortable to watch. Like when he, when he absolutely batters Batman underneath Wayne Enterprises, 
it's really uncomfortable. You know, a cat woman's watching and she's kind of dropped him in it. And even she's like, oh no. It's like, so to use that analogy of Wayne Enterprises, I mean, imagine Wayne Enterprises being the cat now and Batistuta just wandering in with that swagger and just taking Barcelona apart for Fiorentina and then just turning away in triumph like it's no thing, like in someone else's yard. Yeah. And he, he did have that energy. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at how he, how he would finish Batistuta, it doesn't matter if it was six yards, seven yards, 10 yards, 25 yards. Every single goal that he scored was a blow. Yes. It was physical. I can't think of many strikers that would finish with such precision and ferocity than Batistuta. There was one goal that he scored, and I can't remember who it was against, but it was a volley, right foot, cross came in from the right-hand side, and he hit it on the volley with such power, but it was slotted. It's unbelievable. Side foot finish. Basically, what I'm trying to say is the reason it made me think of the Bane thing was because I, I could feel my face making the same expressions each time Batasuta scored a goal in this highlight reel than yeah. I, that I did when every time Bane would smash Batman. Just like, oh. Do you know what's so brilliant about that? I think this is the reason this is so, such good analogy is because you don't see that combination of precision and power. You don't really see it generally. It's very it's rare. rare. It's very rare. Yeah. Like, Batistuta was obviously great for Fiorentina, but you could argue that his most efficient season was when Roma went to the title because the quality of the goal scoring, you know, Roma actually, for a lot of those games, I followed that season quite closely. They weren't necessarily the best in a lot of those games, but he would score these astonishing strikes from distance to win them matches that they probably shouldn't have won. They maybe should have drawn. Mm. And he would just take this responsibility. The thing about Bain, and, and as you say, is he is ferocious, but there's a calculation there. And, you know, it's like watching, it's like, you know, you know these, video, these safari videos where you see the kind of, the animals are kind of sizing you up thinking, mm. if you got out of that SUV, if you just got out of that Jeep for two minutes. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny as well, one of the reference I want to draw with Batistuta actually is the, um, from Cartoon World, is, is the Tasmanian Devil. Do you ever that like <laughs> spinning creature, like the Tasmanian Devil, just, yeah. just the dust cloud? And Batistuta with the centre-backs, I mean, even his hair, right? His hair is like flame, this kind of billowing, this billowing sort of mane he's got. There's a chaotic energy. It's like a sort of um, a fission reactor or something. And that's your job. Like you imagine, like, you know, you get some strikers, you're like, okay, that's a guy. Like Batistuta is hyperactive. He has that ability of always being on his toes, always on the move, always darting, searching, looking for gaps. As a restlessness, I mean, God knows what he was like in class to deal with. And God knows what he's like. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah imagine. I want to pick up on a couple of things you said there. I think that, this, I mean, when you said the precision and the power, it's a combination that you do see quite a lot with number nines, but they tend to be super erratic. Right. And not massively efficient. When they land, they land. Right. And they land yeah. big. But the amount of times they, you just see stuff like flying miles away. And the energy side of it, do you know what he, he reminds me of a little bit in that aspect in terms of a modern day striker is quite it's another Argentine Gonzalo Higuain yes Gonzalo Higuain people who maintain the intensity from when they pick the ball up to when they score from when they score to when they finish their celebration it's the same I think that Higuain as a youngster had a lot of the tools to become someone on the level of Batistuta right yeah I agree they're two really good examples of you know what you could be and what you couldn't be 
with very similar skill sets. And you know, it's funny with Higuain, and I'm glad that you mentioned him because I think he's someone that won't get the legacy or the reputation he deserves. And his goal scoring record is extraordinary. You know, anyone that scores more than 100 goals for Real Madrid, for one thing, you know, that, that by itself is a magnificent achievement. Mm. I think there is a thing with the, the classic number nine. There's an element of the undeserving. Like they take, they take joy in winning games they shouldn't have won. So if you look at the 2014 World Cup final where Higuain had that miss where he's criticised so much and it was really just a moment, it was a fleeting moment like all the, moment, all, the, all the classic nines where you're kind of called to deliver and no one that watched that game will tell you that Argentina was a better team and if they'd won that game it would have been a theft but I think there's an element of theft in all the truly great number nines. There has to be a catalogue of stolen victories if that makes sense and if you look at Lewandowski, if you look at Aguero, Roy Mackay, Edin Dzeko, all these players, they've stolen games where, you know, every, every opponent, every opposing fan will say like, you know what, there was that game back there. I mean, you, you look at Andy Cole against Leeds United, he scores a goal in the breakaway in one of United's um, championship seasons. And Leeds had been, I mean, this was, this was like O'Leary's Leeds, ferocious just brutal at Ellen Road, really difficult to get a result unless you were Arsenal and you had like that incredible team. And United went there and Cole scored on a breakaway. And I remember thinking that is a classic nine goal, not, not even just the technique, it was just the timing. Mm. The fact that it takes, I think we mentioned this maybe before in a different context, but when it removes all the joy from the, from the crowd, from the away, from the home crowds, there's got to be an unfairness. I think, if, if there's one criticism of Higuain, who I thought was a phenomenal player, he didn't often enough give opposing fans that sense of real injustice. Yeah, I think with Higuain, ultimately, I just don't think he's an alpha. He's got a lot of alpha energy, but I don't think he's actually an alpha. I think he, I think he needs another alpha around him, yeah. whereas I think Batistuta didn't. Weirdly, Batistuta is like a super nice guy, but... He went through a phase of, I mean, he's, he absolutely torched Arsenal at Wembley in the Champions League. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, I hate this guy. <laughs> I, I genuinely hate this guy because it's just not fair. It's, and that's the similar thing with Bain as well. Like you, you kind of love them, but you kind of hate them because it's just not fair. Their skill set is just not fair. Like, how can you compete with that? Do you know what's funny about those players though? I think you have to enjoy occupying the most protected space on the field between in the final third between the last defender and the goalkeeper you have to actively enjoy wandering into that area I remember talking to a good friend of mine um, I used to play football with shout out to Kwoki Kwoki Yip in my early 20s and we would talk about this and I said look Kwoki you're so skillful as a fullback why don't you play up front why don't you try it like you can beat anyone in the final third I've seen you do it on the wing and he said it's just too much it's too stressful and he couldn't because he said just the thought of being, and this was just us talking about a practice case, the thought of me being alone in front of goal was really frightening. And I don't judge Higuain for that because it's not for everyone. And I think, and another player I want to talk about um, in relation to this classic nine is Beppe Signori. Can I just say, the very mention of Beppe Signori's name makes my heart glow. I adored him when I was younger. He was amazing, wasn't he? Such a little squidgeable face as yeah, well. Yeah, he did. He did. He like, like a, he's like an Asterix character. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I loved Pepe Signori so much. He had the most amazing penalty technique yes. where he would hardly take a run up. I used to copy it when I was a kid. I went through a stage. I think I was like, I think it was when I was playing for my Cubs team. 
And I would only take like a two-step run-up on penalties because of Beppe Signore. It was incredible, wasn't it? And it was so much power. I think he was like top scorer in Serie A three times. In a league where it was almost impossible to score, he would average almost a goal a game. Like 26 goals and 34. And he, it was like, I was like, how is that dude doing it? How has he not at a bigger club? I don't think he ever won any major titles. I think he won like one title, like for Foggia or something. I don't, I don't think he won much at all, Signori. Yeah, Serie B and an Intertoto Cup with Bologna. Yeah. He's very much in that era, you know, where we've mentioned it a few times about how... Um, Players could have gone anywhere. Mm. Like JJ Kocha going to Bolton and you just had that. I think there's an element of that. It's about economic... It was greater economic equality. So you might get a series of offers and be like, oh, I could go to Marseille or Bolton or Bologna. I'll mm. get a very good living standard for my kids wherever I go. My family will like it. So you could kind of make a choice based on... There was more parity of decision-making maybe. I don't know. Um, I mean, his goal ratio for Lazio was, I think, on Wikipedia. So I think Wikipedia only put the league games, right? Only league, yeah. Only games. league, yeah. Only league. 107 league goals in 152 league games. In the 90s. In the in 90s. Italy. In the 90s? In the 90s. And I don't sound like a bit of an old man here, but that strike rate is astonishing for that context. It's astonishing. Van Basten was like 90 and 150 or something, to give it context. Yeah. Which says, I mean, and that was Van Basten, we'll get onto it at some point, was, I mean, the swan, maybe the elite nine. Do you think it's really weird that the, some of the world's elite number nines were in Italy at that time where it was renowned for being quite a defensively strong league? Yes and no. Do you know why? Jay-Z referred to Donald Trump as a superbug, right? And what he meant was, if you keep building up immunity, you eventually become immune. And I mm. think that those elite strikers were the only ones that could have thrived in that atmosphere where the defenders were so good that you play, you trade against them all the time and you wouldn't survive in training if you're playing against like all these guys. So you, the only ones that survive are those who become immune to them, who, how, how good they are. If you're Van mm. Basten, you're training against Beresi and Costa Curta in a formative part of your career, you either get sold or you become a monster. Because the training ground, I mean, like there was a, there was a great um, story they would tell about, I think Hullet told it, in training at Milan, they'd play 10 against five, 10 attackers against five defenders. And he said, we never scored. When we played mm -hmm. that phase, we never scored against that back four. So I think, I, I, I did find it strange at first when I thought about it, I thought, actually, no, you'd, it would only be strikers that were good enough to crack the code. And once you cracked it, of course... And like, you know, like you look at Signori's best goals, he runs at them. Like he goes, it's kind of the thing of attack the point of greater strength and make it a weakness. Signori mm. goes down the middle. It's amazing how mm. many of his goals come from directly running at centre-backs. And one thing that's important to add as well is they've always had defensive midfielders in Italy, but maybe, maybe this is a bit of a reach, Ryan, so correct me if I'm wrong. There were still two banks of four. It wasn't so much. Do you know, like you see, the lines are compressed now. You got like a back. You got like a back four, and then a defensive midfielder, and then like a eight, and then a six, and then a kind of it's, it's more staggered. Mm. Maybe there was an element of in the old days there was slightly more room between the midfield and the defence. I don't know. I'm not sure whether we're finding the space otherwise. I mean, I think it's tricky to to say. You'd have to go back and watch a lot of games. I mean, when we were watching the the '95 Champions League final for Football Weekly this week we noticed that just the defensive lines between Ajax and AC Milan were wild. So every time Ajax had the ball in midfield, AC Milan were already in their own box yeah. with centre midfielders on the edge of the box and centre defenders in the box. 
Whereas if the other way around, Ajax were playing a super high line. I think, yeah, you know, to be honest, Ryan, I think to your point, I think I'm wrong. I think that they were just astonishing strikers. If you look at the variety of goals they scored, mm. I mean, Signori could score from anywhere, Batistuta could score from anywhere. I think what you say is right. It kind of goes to, do you remember when Arsene Wenger said that the reason there were so many great forwards coming out of South America was that they hadn't come up through the traditional European academy system. Right. They hadn't been, if you like, gentrified. There was a big gentrification of football that went on as players, That's right? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, there was a lot of the like, you know, their street footballers and stuff like that. And I think that that may go to explain why there were so many great number nines in Italy during that time because carrying on my tired Bane analogy it's like they were that good they had to get excommunicated from the League of Shadows kind of <laughs> that is brilliant <laughs> so wait so Italian defence is the League of Shadows and Signori and Van Basten were excommunicated that's amazing do you know, actually, do you know let me add and Enrico Sacchi was Ra's al Ghul <laughs> oh, this is too someone's going to send us a photoshop by the way Photoshops and memes and other content are always welcome of our stadio content. Uh, no, yeah, but nothing too bantery. You say that, but let's see. Let's see. On the South American Strikers theme, we cannot, we're kind of, seri- we're very Serie A today, aren't we? Ronaldo. Mm. Ronaldo is interesting as a classic number nine because he came to the South American system and then was in Holland and then obviously went to Italy. And it's almost like he was faced at formative points of his career with all the kind of complex problem solving because all at the end of the day, the truly great strikers, Rio Ferdinand says, this, you know, got scoring goals is the hardest thing in football, which is very humble coming from a defender. And the very best strikers are the best problem solvers in football, right? And the amount of problems that Ronaldo had to solve, not only did he have to score on a variety of different, you know, terrains, but he also had to put up with the kind of the hacking you know, because mm. there are cliches around South American football, but one thing is important to say, the protection of the flair player isn't actually... Was non-existent. Well, well, I mean, you look at like, the, early, the early games that those people play and the map they get kicked. I mean, you even saw it with Neymar at Santos. Well, actually, it's a great... Yeah, well, it's, I wasn't going to mention Neymar because he's not technically a nine, but I think it's relevant. No, no, he's not a nine, but I mean, in terms of... I'm, I'm explaining that in terms of like recently. Of course. Well, it was funny. There was a funny moment when Neymar came to Europe and everyone's going, oh my goodness, can he hack it in Europe? And I was like, have you seen what he's just done? Like this guy just won a Libertadores the first mm-hmm. time in 40 years for Santos. And if you've been to Santos, I was lucky to go there just for an afternoon and saw the stadium. Like, it's not a big ground. Like, and it's Nice ground though. Oh, it's lovely ground. Lovely ground. But he went from that and he carried all that pressure. When you walk into training every day and you see Pele's statue in the foyer, and you're going onto the pitches and you're being hacked because it's the only way they can stop you. I was like, this guy is unbelievably brave. Neymar may be, I mean, he's certainly one of the bravest attackers of the modern era. And I want to talk about that in relation to the classic nine. There's got to be a bravery there. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, not just the physical, I mean, there's a physical bravery, obviously, because your ankles are, you know, Van Basten lost his career to repeated mm. uh, hacks. But also that ability to go into the most frightening places and seek responsibility. And I think sometimes there's not enough credit because you look at people like Beppe Signore who didn't win much. And I mentioned on this podcast because I think it's really important that you know, we just watched the Last Dance documentary about leg- space about Michael Jordan's legacy. It's really important to keep mentioning great strikers whose trophy cabinets aren't full because they still solved every problem before them. And my one regret with Signore is he didn't get 
he never quite got a club worthy of his talents. Like even Lazio, like he left them, I think just before they won the league. Mm. You say to most people of the generation, like younger than us, mid-twenties, Beppe Signori, they'd be like, what? Like, and that's kind of sad. It is sad. I would, I would tell anyone who, I don't want to kind of sound like a- Young blurs. Patronising, patronising. Kids, go onto the YouTube the tube. and go, watch. No, no, call it the tube of you. Go on the tube of you. <laughs> go onto the YouTube and um, just, if you haven't, go and watch some Beppe Signori highlights because there are worse ways to spend your afternoon, trust me. Yes. And if you can find some from the Football Italia days, then win-win. Oh yeah, really. absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We've spoke a lot about Serie A number nines and we've gone on for a while. I think we take a break and come back and whiz through some other number nines because our, our replies are just going to be full of people we've not mentioned. And they'll be like, you did talk about this. Okay, let's do it. So let's come back after the break and talk about people's suggestions. All right, let's do it. All right, back from the break. Got my coffee. Sound like Matt Hancock on the campaign trail. Oh my goodness. Let's hope you tell more truth. Have you ever seen that Michael Spicer TikTok where he says Matt Hancock on every single campaign destination where he's just like, I'm delighted to be here in, and I've got my coffee with me. I doesn't know where he is. And I've never been here before, but I'm looking forward to going out there and I've got my coffee with me. And telling more lies. So those who don't know, those just, <laughs> Matt Hancock is the health secretary of the UK who was doing, I mean doing the Not, least. He got a lovely little telling off in Parliament the other day by the Speaker and then he got kicked out. That was fun. Anyway, grim. Yeah, save that the, for another time. Absolutely. We're celebrating number nines here so we don't need to bring Matt Hancock into this. Alright, let's get into some number nines. Okay, right. So we had Van Basten from Ali Jelani. Shouts to Ali. Good dude. Runs a great label. Runs a great label as well. Yeah, he said Van Basten he could score so many different types of goals a classic number nine but so much more than that too. I agree. There are a lot of shouts for Van Basten so Big up everyone who said Van Basten. I like this one from Laurie James Laker, and it's someone who I think will get remembered in time as a really great number nine, but maybe one of those underrated, but is he really underrated? He's not really underrated, but he doesn't come in the conversation a lot of the time. Edison Cavani. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, Laurie says, vastly underrated and damn near glossed over, but at his peak, he was among the very best in the world and absolutely terrifying slash inspiring in equal measure. Cavani, again, I think has that similar energy that we mentioned about Batistuta, where it was just... Force. Yeah. The hair as well. The hair was very good. Good hair. Actually, on Batistuta, what's your favourite era of Batistuta's hair? Oh, he went short like Thor, didn't he? Mm. Mine was randomly when he started rocking like a tennis headband, but halfway down his forehead. Yes. My, it didn't really course, hold much in place. Of course, of course. Like Agassi, when early Agassi, yeah. My favourite. Yes, yeah. Agassi. Exactly. Like my favourite Batistuta was Chaotic Batistuta, where yeah. he wore that billowing Fiorentina shirt, sponsored, they were sponsored by Nintendo, I think. And it was such a, the shirt was so oversized that when he put on the captain's armband, you saw the shirt billowing out because it was so tight, the armband compared to the shirt. Mm. Um, yeah. And he was just... He seemed to skip everywhere. The way that Batistuta runs is so interesting. Like his run is really, he's really light-footed actually. Like for a player that's yeah. quite physically big, yeah. Spring we can't time. keep talking about Batistuta though. We've can't, got to move on. Can't we? We can't, unfortunately. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Uh, shouts to June Pan, the great June Pan. She said, I feel, a, <laughs> I feel obligated to smash the Mario Gomez button here. Yes. <laughs> 
any excuse to smash the Mario Gomez button. And always looked like a dutiful officer. He looked, you know what he looked like? Mario Gomez looked like, there's a lot of areas they don't like policemen, right? But Mario Gomez looked like the, the only local policeman that people actually like. Everything all right here, ma'am? You okay there? Oh, watch out for that. He just seemed like a nice, that's a German word, the perfect son-in-law. And I think he's one of those, the Schwiegersohn. He, he's, he's got a shout for most handsome number nine. He's definitely up there. Yeah, but there's a lot of those, Ryan. Olivier Giroud. Someone actually mentioned, someone threw Giroud into our mentions. I mean, of course. And when is he not I mean, thrown in? Yeah, I mean, frankly. I'm not complaining. He's there were loads of shouts for Miroslav Closer. Oh, I like that. Oh, we had loads. Like loads of people shouted Closer out. I really like that. Closer, again, I think will be one of those people who's maybe never in the conversation for all-time great number nines. Mm. And even though I kind of agree with that, when you start sitting down and giving the case against, it's hard to actually present a case, if that makes sense. Yeah, Close is interesting because he is someone who, this is going to sound weird and sound negative to start with this, but I think it's worth saying. There is actually a sense in which the number nine's job is limited. Like, there is a particular brief to it. And Close's game, actually, you could argue he wasn't dangerous beyond 20 yards from goal, but within it, he was absolutely devastating. And I think Closer reminds me that this is such a specialist position. Mm. You know, you really are there. And I don't say that that's not in a negative way. It's there is someone who is there to provide. Let's say you've, you know, you've built a car and everything looks great, but then you need someone to come in and like get the chassis looking just perfect. He's like, he, mm. he could recite you know, that scene in John Wick, John, John Leguizamo's character in John Wick, who basically restores John Wick's car from being a complete write-off. He's that. He can basically put a gloss on anything. And that was his gift. Like he could come in, that Germany team that won that World Cup, just even as a dressing room presence or on the training ground to keep someone like Manuel Neuer sharp. Yeah, I think he, he definitely belongs in that category. Certainly one of the greatest international number nines of all time. Like, oh yeah, I mean, all-time World Cup goal scorer. He'll be in that conversation. He won't be in the kind of club thing because weirdly enough, if you look at his goal scoring ratio in teams where he actually had a decent bit of support, like Bayern didn't actually score the most goals, mm. but he got the ones that you needed. You know I mean, he really got the ones that you needed. So yeah, big, big, big fan for closer. And actually played more games for Lazio than any other club, which is something that I kind of always forget. I definitely forgot that. It was the same with Mario Mandzukic. He played most of his club games at Juventus. He put in some serious... Yeah, I'm always surprised when players do that because you associate number nines with, especially the great ones, you associate them with one big club mm. and they kind of peak there and you kind of forget about them. And I, I think there's, there's, a, there's something to be said, actually. This is another shout out for Lewandowski and also for Luis Suarez. There is something to be said for great number nines who are truly great for two club sides. Like Luis Suarez was great at Liverpool, but he may end up being associated more with Barcelona than Liverpool, which if you'd said that to anyone mm. before, they'd be that's remarkable. Lewandowski was genuinely great at Dortmund and may end up being associated more with Bayern than Dortmund. And I think it's kind of incredible to take that depth of goal scoring from one club to another. I mean, it's not easy. Mm. Actually, one guy I want to mention briefly, I mentioned him on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, but I want to throw him again, not to dwell on it, but Edin Dzeko is another example of that. Because Edin Dzeko was, yeah. I think Edin Dzeko has been the top goal scorer in three different countries, in three of Europe's five leagues, major leagues, so Germany, 
England and um, and Italy. I think he gets a hard time, Adin Dzeko. I think he does. I think I think that's also partly because I think it's the Cavani thing. I simply think it's because when you are from a country with a relatively small population, you just don't have a, that many advocates for you in the international press. So, if, for example, if it's the old cliche, but if Cavani was Spanish, he would just have more people talking about him because he's from a bigger country. And I think uh, Jeko is the same with Bosnia. Mm. But yeah, I think you know his record will speak for itself. Yeah, definitely. And we had a couple of shouts for Didier Drogba, who oh my is can we even? I mean, no offense, Didier, if you're listening. I know you do listen now and again. I'm sure. Well, you don't, but someone, he's got better things to do than listen to us. Who doesn't? But no, no, Didier, if you're listening at any point, uh, if you're listening back one day, we're not going to discuss you for much in this episode because it's just so self-evident what you brought to the game. I mean, he is the thing about him that's interesting, Drogba, is the mentality. Really, mm. like. You consider that he went to Chelsea and he was used as a kind of sacrificial nine, not a false nine. False nines are people that maybe draw, they drop a bit deeper and then maybe draw the centre-backs out. Didier Drogba was a sacrificial nine at Chelsea for his first season. What I mean by that is it was really just there to occupy the centre-backs and let the wide forwards do their work. And he Mm -hmm. occupied them not by dropping deep, but by going up against them and basically being buffeted by them. He accepted that responsibility and he scored less than 20 goals in his first season in the league, I think. And mm. he was happy with that. And that was really, that's something to share with Samuel Etu actually as well. You know, another oh, player. Etu, for me, yeah. he. I was, I mean, maybe we'll come onto this later and we'll do a quick fire having not thought about it before. Personal top five. Because I want to go through some more first. Because we had a couple of shouts for, well, there were a couple of shouts for people who, the only two interviews we've done on the Stadio podcast. Oh. The great men, Gary Lineker and Ian Wright. Yeah, absolutely. I hope Gary doesn't mind me saying this, but I think Ian Wright was the most devastating out of the two and could hurt you in more ways. Very much like Batistuta in a way. He'd probably accept that. I think he'd accept that. I think with, with Wright, he was that, whereas Batistuta was relentlessly ferocious and it was powerful a lot of the time. With Wrighty, there was a precision and a finesse. The slow knife thing. Yes. We're going we're gonna to rinse the Dark Knight. This is what we're rinsing this week. What are we rinsing this week? The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. It's just times where he should have... Well, there, there are a number of situations that he and Batistuta used to get into really similar positions. And if you compare the ways that they would finish, Batistuta would just drive a lot of the time. It's like we said, the precision and the power. Whereas Wrighty would get into similar positions 20 yards out from goal and float one. Yeah. I still think he's underrated. Ian Wright. Of course. I still think he's he, underrated and, and, and should be in the conversation for definitely, absolutely one of England's all-time number nines. I would put him above Alan Shearer in that. You know, I think Alan Shearer obviously is the top Premier League goal scorer. But I still think that in terms of all-round ability, if I was going to pick a team, and this isn't Arsenal bias, but I would, I would put him right in there. Do you know what's interesting about that? Because he, Alan Shearer, as great as he will always be, I felt like Ian Wright gave you more problems you couldn't solve. And the reason I say this is because if I look at the truly great nines, and obviously Shearer is one of them, the greatest thing a nine can have, I think, is the ability to improvise. Oh, and, and Ian Wright was an absolute master at that. And he mentioned it. And I, I think yeah. if people, because we've had a lot of people who have started listening to us during the lockdown, and if you haven't listened to it, go and check the interview that we did with him because he really deconstructs his game in quite a high amount of forensic detail yeah 
and really gets into the science of of being a striker. He had such a reputation for being a live wire that no one really took him seriously as a master of his craft. And when you listen to how he explains things and why he would play Sunday league games only finishing with his left foot or trying to finish just off the post and then how he would relate that to his experiences as a Premier League football later on in his career. It's like, you know, the Lester Freeman quote, like all the pieces matter. It's this, it's this completely perfecting your craft to a level that I don't think he gets the credit for. And actually, I think it's a thing that a number of black footballers don't get the credit for. They get the cliche, you know, athletic ability kind of thing. And I think a lot of black strikers get that as well. Yeah. Specifically. I think, for example, if Ian Wright was white, I think people would hone in on the the technical wizardry of his game a hell of a lot more than they have done. I think that's really interesting. I think that Ian Wright, you know, we call that that interview the art of finishing. It's it's the art of problem solving. You know, that mm. there was a great um goal that Van Basten scores when he scores all four goals in a Champions League group game against Gothenburg in the early nineties, either ninety two or ninety three. And this amazing bicycle kick where the ball comes in for a cross, mm. from a cross, and he's expecting it to come as a header. But he realises, oh my goodness, it's too low to head it. So what he does is he throws himself backwards and downwards and hits a perfect bicycle kick. It's, it's so perfectly placed that it hits the six yard box before bouncing into the corner in the side netting. Yeah. And he aims it and he's made a calculation in that moment. I was like, that, See, that's what a nine does. When mm. Crespo gets the through ball against Liverpool in the Champions League for AC Milan in the first half, the amazing through ball from Kaka, and he sees Dudek come off his line. And there's that moment between Crespo going, do I go round him or chip it? And he just floats the chip over him with the outside of his right foot. Yeah. And Crespo, you know, Crespo for me, the perfect nine in terms of a master of the striking art. You know, when you watch Ian Wright go through a goal, you you watch Crespo, you watch Aguero, you watch Ian Wright, and you know what it is? It's the balance. There's that moment before they score where the shoulders just lean back and Mm -hmm. the goalkeeper knows they're doomed. Like, you know, they're through on goal. You know, certain strikers, you see them go through on goal and it's like, you see it in basketball sometimes and the bench already starts celebrating when they see them shoot Mm -hmm. because they know it's in. There are certain strikers where you're almost turning away in celebration before they score because you know, like it's done. Yeah. We can trust them in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Shouts to Justin Salhani who mentioned Romario. Oh said his goodness. intelligence and cleverness always stunned me. I mean, there's, we're revisiting a number of players that we've mentioned a lot recently and therefore we're probably going to miss some all-time great number nines out here. But as with the passing episode, don't take it as a sign of disrespect. It's just there are a lot of great number nines. We're scared they're going to come for us. Any others before we... Yeah, I'm we always scared people are going to come for us. Um, Jazz Dahara, Batty Goal, Alan Smith, he said obligatory Arsenal reference, Ibrahimovic, Cliver, Pippo Inzaghi, R9. I mean, Inzaghi's a shout and also Ronaldo, we've, which I was saving because we've not mentioned him yet. I like Cliver a lot because Cliver went through almost two phases of being quite lean, quite angular and then filling out physically at Barca and becoming a more conventional target man. You know, at, at, Milan, at Ajax, he was this more elusive, free-running, almost actually quite funny, like a kind of um, mm. a Kanu-type player who was tall and thin, quite rangy, but just a beautiful dribbler. And then at, you know, I, think, I think what he did at Barca maybe is slightly, I mean, 
He was rated at the time, don't get me wrong. But his ability to link up the play is something which, you know, as a, as a nine, it's weird because you spend so much time doing lonely work, but then yeah. you have to bring others into it. So this is kind of strange duality of like, I've got to be on the centre-backs, but I've also got to be a playmaker. I think Ibrahimovic, actually, to be fair to him, was a supreme, if you talk about a playmaking nine, Ibrahimovic at his peak when he was obviously more mobile was was an outstanding um, playmaking number nine. I think Clivert's stint in Milan maybe hurt him rep-wise and yeah, I think maybe, so. maybe not, I don't want to question someone's mentality, but I, I think he saw it with Dennis Burkamp as well. It kind of stung them a bit. Yes, I think that's right. Now, Burkamp's not a number nine, but I'm thinking, you know, similar era, um, you know, similar, well, I mean, one was at Milan, one was at Inter. And having both been so highly towered at Ajax, I think it took them a little while to get that back. But his, I mean, he was almost like one in two for Barca. Can I be honest which, with you? I think that was Van Basten's uh, fault. Really? I think Van Basten created that problem because people saw this incredible, you saw it a lot with the Dutch, Van Basten, what he did for Dutch strikers. People thought he could just buy an number nine off the shelf from Holland. You saw it with Matteo Kesman, you know? Yeah. People bought another yeah. nine. They're like, okay, we've got a number nine. And Van Nistel did it as well. Oh, you buy a number nine from Ajax or PSV, they'll just go and score buckets for you. And it creates a problem because then, I know, they buy Bergkamp because what did Bergkamp do? You know, he actually took over for Van Basten. You know, they're seeing a guy who scored loads of goals in, in Ajax. Oh, just plug him into the inter-attack, he'll be fine. And he's like, no, I, I like having people running in front of me. Yeah. And Clivert was another one. Clivert actually was a brilliant nine at Ajax, scored a lot of goals, but was part of a, a system that was, there was a great level of precision Van Hal teams and any others. You take him out of that and it's like, you know, the wrong piece of software. I think I mentioned before. So yeah, yeah I think, I think, yeah, I think so. You're definitely right. I did hurt him, but he was only there for a year, I think in the end. Yeah, he was. Yeah. 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 And he looked miserable. I remember watching some games. He looked miserable. Yeah. I mean, it was an era where a lot of strikers were going to Italy who weren't Italian and looking quite miserable. Yeah. True. True. Uh, shouts to Chris Marshall. He said, Ali McCoy's, he absolutely lived for scoring goals, was also a heartthrob current co-commentator extraordinaire and probably the best actor in the 2000 Robert Duval movie Her Shot at Glory about the Scottish Cup run Plucky Underdogs Kill Knocky FC I'm so glad someone mentioned him because it seems like he was scoring every week it's weird because his record before Rangers wasn't that great right because uh, obviously he was at Sunderland before he moved to Rangers oh yeah right 15 years at Rangers he, he managed to score more than a goal every two games it's unreal the particular period like when I was at prep school, when he scored 39 and 49 one year and the next year scored 49 and 52. And he was just, mm -hmm. like he was the Scottish Lineker. I like that shout for Ali McCoyst. Again, someone who maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves. I love that. being a great number nine. Love that. In an era when, you know, the gap between Scottish football and the rest of European football wasn't as, we're going quite long here and this is starting to resemble our chat in person the other day where we just spoke about Sorry, yeah. We just name names we just get for about two hours. Just, just get carried uh, away, I'll, yeah. This one from Fe uh, the great Feddy Prammel. So you're obviously going to bring up Batty Goal. So another, Kavanagi. Oh my God, I love this. I love there this. is a name that I wish someone mentioned to me a little bit more often. I love honest. Fernando Kavanagi. So I used to watch him because those who know, know in the old days, Channel 5 used to screen Argentina league games. So I sit up and watch them. And you'd get to watch River Plate 
with that incredible team. I think they even had Ortega at one point, I think maybe slightly before, but Kavanagh was one of the best finishers I've ever seen. I remember just thinking, how is he not like one of the world's biggest strikers? And I think the mm. only reason is because I just think he had maybe not the best agent. Because that guy, when he left Argentina, his strike rate was astonishing. He could score any kind of goal. And a lot of players, a lot of very good players came out of South America and did very well at that period, in that period. So I think he got undersold. Kavanagh, was a, he was a beast. We yeah, he really, shot. really yeah. was. We've missed so many players. Uh, Ravinda Clare mentioned Crespo Inzaghi, Shevchenko and Vieri. Shevchenko fits into that category alongside Fernando Torres, where they had this really unbelievably devastating period of their career and one club move I think undid all of their hard work from before that I don't think they ever will get the full credit that they deserved for their high points in their career because of those moves where they were so poor afterwards I think that's also physical isn't it because if you look at like yeah maybe the miles off the clock you you look at both of those players Shevchenko and Torres carried abnormal burdens for their teams not just physical, but psychological. So like Shevchenko was like the bright young thing of Ukrainian football from a teenager. Mm-hmm. And Torres was captaining Atleti at the young age. So these people have basically been the great hope. And weirdly, they both achieved their potential, but then the second they did, they just went off the cliff, like physically. Yeah. And their bodies as well, like both of them are interesting because they were both quite slight when they started out. Like Shevchenko at Kiev, you know, had a quite a strong upper body, but he wasn't like this hulking figure he became at Milan. And Torres the same, they just bulk up. And then eventually their bodies just couldn't carry. So if you, if you look at like Dinamo Kiev, Shevchenko and Milan Shevchenko, physically, physically, Dinamo Kiev, Shevchenko could fit inside a Milan Shevchenko suit. Like he was just hench. Rebrov and Shevchenko in that Dinamo Kiev side was one of the greatest European partnerships, I think. We mentioned earlier, maybe we'll do a top five. But I think we should spend some time and actually come up with a maybe like a top 10 or 20. Ooh. If we do a top, they're really going to come for us. Okay, let's, let's, you know, let's step back. Let's step back and do like a top 10 or top 20. On another episode. Yeah, exactly. And then let's see what All people right. think. And we'll have a set of criteria, which we can maybe even share in advance. That yeah, we'll be- do it. We'll post, we'll post it out and we'll, we'll, we'll say... Well, yeah, let's treat this as a part one. Hey, there you go. You can hear us thinking on the on the fly. There you go. It's almost like we don't have a plan, Musa. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Look at us. The state of us. Thanks to everyone who sent in suggestions. Sorry if we missed out your all-time favourite number nine. It wasn't deliberate. They are great. Please don't email us about it. Yeah. <laughs> unless, <laughs> I, unless I missed out yours, in which case it was deliberate. No, no. <laughs> oh my goodness. We didn't even mention Van Nistelrooy. They are going to absolutely go wild. We barely talked about Van Nistelrooy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry. Well, talk about him. He's your mate. Your mate Rude. Yeah, actually, do you know what? Um, I will quickly talk about Rude Van Nistelrooy. What, 150 goals in 219 games for Manchester United. That's because that's a stat that every United fan knows pretty much. And just an incredible finisher. Wherever he went, seemed to have a really great career, seemed to really enjoy his retirement as well. I mean, I, I mentioned before I bumped into him randomly in Eindhoven at an event we were both doing. And someone for whom, you know, look at like someone like Michael Jordan where he's still consumed by competition years after leaving sport. 
And you mm. look at Batistuta, you look at like Van Nistelrooy, they've, they've left it behind. And I wonder if, maybe I'm just projecting here, but the art of scoring goals, the state of readiness, being ready all the time to deliver, to execute, you carry that from the age of, what, six? Well, the first time people start realising you're a footballing genius up to the age that you're 35. You've carried that for 30 years. And I think the joy of just letting go of it. You look at Batistuta now, he loves his horses. His knees are a bit knocked up because I think he had real problems with his knees, actually. He was in real pain for a long time. But he's just kind of like floating about. He's not really that present in the media. And he's a smart guy, like him and Van Nistelrooy. Got lots of, lots of interesting things to say about football. They're just kind of living their best lives. You know, like Britney Spears is just off doing her thing and just chilling. They're like that. They're just, you know, I had a good run. You know what I mean? There are some people that, like, I had a good run. I scored the game some ain't goals. in me no more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Miroslav closed. The last thing we saw, he was hanging out with Rihanna after the World Cup and chilling. And he's off into the sunset. He's like, you know, I'm good. There's something to be said actually about how most nines tend to retire happy. And oh, just, you know, we haven't mentioned actually, you, met, you just reminded me, Oliver Bierhoff. He's, in, he's chilling in the DFB, isn't he? He's enjoying, he's enjoying a, the company, the company car. He loves car. being ex, in a, an executive. He does. He loves having to wear a shirt tucked into work, Oliver Bierhoff. Big shirt tucked in energy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I would love, can I just say, if I was a professional footballer, I'd be terrible because I'd retire and I would just love being one of those kind of like gravy train oh so good to see you Mr Kwonga with my little sort of like UEFA blazer I'd wear oh yes oh I oh I work in football did I mention I worked in football I'd be I'd be terrible you'd be straight into it you you've got big global ambassador yeah, energy I, I was gonna say oh what's this global ambassador <laughs> yeah me. I don't really have to do anything apart from travel and you pay me for it yeah sure why not I'll do that <laughs> that'd be incredible that's my dream and they'd be like you've got yeah and every two months get to remind people no every two weeks get to remind people oh that guy oh he did we mention he won a World Cup? Yeah, I, I don't like to talk about it, but yeah, I, I won a World Cup. Oh my you'd be God. at all the you'd be at all the like football executive stuff. You totally would, man. I'd be That's so your thing. <laughs> That's what you do when you retire. What do you think I'd do when I retired if I was a footballer? Think I'd go and do my badges straight away? No, you wouldn't. Well, I've no. done one badge already. You've got a badge. I do own a coaching badge. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You're interesting because you might do. You might do the punditry thing for a bit, but you might also do a bit for Pat Nevin. You'd definitely DJ. No. You would, you would. No, you would. You'd well, DJ. I don't think I would. You would DJ, you would. Ryan, you would. It's in you. You couldn't resist I'm... it. You, no, you could not resist it. You could not resist. Put it, no, okay, not, okay, let me, let Do you know what no, I'd do? If no. I was actually a professional footballer, I would hit NTS up for a show whilst I was a professional footballer. You see, now, now he, there he is. You would, and you'd, you'd also do, if there was a Champions League weekend, you would DJ at some point of the weekend. You would, you would, you'd at some point, if you're aware. But I don't think I would though, because I don't know, I don't, I, no. You say I that. I would. It wouldn't be a big thing. It might be like after party for like, just, you know. Maybe a one deck thing where you like, tune finishes, put another tune on. You see. One deck style. Yeah, I don't see. mind that. Yeah, I don't want to be like. No, it wouldn't. It would just be like a kind of, ah, oh, oh, Ryan's got some tunes. Hey, speaking of tunes, let's get out of here and play something because we've been rambling for absolutely ages. It is a podcast, Ryan. It is a podcast, but this has gone on way too long. <laughs> okay. Way too long. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Um, stay safe and well, everyone. We hope you're doing okay. Um, and yeah, please vote for us if you would like to. The link to do that is in the description. We're going to be back on Monday 
rounding up the Bundesliga stuff from the weekend. Yeah. Plus, we'll open up to a bit more of a mailbag. And we'll also be looking ahead at the Classica. Next week is an English evoker in, in the Bundesliga, so we've got midweek games, and the Classica is on Tuesday. Football's back. It's wild. We're playing out this week on some Manchester music, Harlem Spirit, Demasus. This was on, I think, the first Stadio sessions we did. Have a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Stay safe. Stay well. See you then. Take care, people. Just